Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Charitable Georgia. Brought to you by Bees Charitable Pursuits and Resources. We put the fun in fundraising. For more information, go to beescharitablepursuits.com. That's B-E-E-S charitablepursuits.com. Now, here's your host, Brian Pruitt. Good Fabulous Friday. It's another Fabulous Friday, and we've got three more fabulous guests. So, uh, If this is your first time listening to Charitable Georgia, this is all about positive things happening in the community, and this is the first time I am running the board today, so uh, there may be some good things, there may be some bad things, we'll find out, but all in all, it's a great day, the weather is cooler, it's nice outside, so fall's right around the corner, so um, as I mentioned, we got three fabulous guests this morning, and our first guest this morning is Mr. Daniel Tilbury from Grace Point Insurance. Daniel, thanks for being here. Absolutely. So last week, I had Daniel Cox from Goosehead Insurance, and I told you Stone, that uh, I like the phones that you can, you know, do the the rings particularly, and Daniel Cox's is Goose. When Daniel Tilbury calls me, it's Amazing Grace. So I like it. A, you I know, like it. that's cool. Uh, so um, why? Because of Grace Point Insurance. Oh yeah. Sorry, I'm a little slow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you in a second, Kevin. Just stay in the corner. Yes, sir. <laughs> So, Daniel, if you don't mind, share a little bit of your backstory. You've got some great uh, back history. I know you were in the ministry for a while, but you had a, a weight loss journey, and it's leading into passion for what you're doing. So if you don't mind, just share your story. Yeah, absolutely. So ooh, where do you begin on that? That's a that's a, that's a good one. So, I, yeah, like you said, uh, I started out in ministry, uh, felt a call to ministry in uh, younger years, um, came to know Christ, and uh I'll never forget the day. It was uh, November 4th, 1998. I was nine years old. Um, it, was, it was at Awana's at church. And from that day forward, God has uh, just radically uh, rocked me uh, in multiple ways. Oftentimes just hitting me on the back of the head like, uh, come on, dummy. Let's uh, let's get to work. Uh, but, you know, it's okay. So I went through high school, went through college. Uh, in, in high school and college, worked a lot with uh, youth ministry. Um, in college, I actually went on staff at a couple of churches, uh, worked in youth ministry for uh, about four years and just loved, loved that time there. Uh, since then, God has kind of called me away from vocational ministry full time. Uh, but it has, uh, really kept my passion in being able to, the, the heart of a servant and really, uh, really worked towards where I am today and, um, bringing out that, that servant leadership and servant, uh, servant mindset. And so, Really, where that has has led me in multiple things, um, but my family is a huge piece of it. Uh, I, I can't say I've gotten anywhere without my wife. Uh, <laughs> number one, it's it's the Lord. Uh, second is my wife, who uh, who keeps me stable and, and constant at all times. Um, and though she probably doesn't doesn't always agree with that, she is absolutely the compass that that keeps things pointed north and uh, and keeps things going. So. Um, Throughout that, she's been been with me in ministry from day one. Um, we actually met through ministry. Uh, my youth pastor, uh, or college pastor back in the day, uh, came from her church, who was uh, her youth pastor, and we ended up meeting through that uh, fun story with that. But the uh, 
at that time I was, I was training to be a uh, officer in the military, uh, to stepped away from that. Um, that's a whole nother story, but, uh, get, got to do a whole lot of fun, uh, fun training and stuff in, in college with that. And then walked away and went full-time ministry after that. Um, in, in the ministry went from, uh, from vocational to in business after graduating, graduating, graduating with business degree and, uh, from Kennesaw state. And then, uh, uh, really felt like God was leading me into business and, uh, taking ministry through business. Uh, and from there, I've just had a passion to um, change the business world for Christ. Um, and it's uh, it's been a journey, um, but bringing leadership back into uh, the business world. We talk about business and, and leadership all the time, but what we what we miss a lot of times is, is the business world as a whole, um, I truthfully believe has a void uh, that a lot of business people chase nonstop and they believe it's it the at the root success will get it and success by you know western culture we, we believe that that's that's money finances and growth right but what we realize uh, if you really take a step back and look at it is true success is in in you know service to others and that's where we find our true happiness and joy uh, and not just being happy, but truly being joyful in it. And that's, uh, that's what I've learned in the last couple of years that you know, I chased the success sex meter, uh, was pretty good at it in, uh, in years past. But then when I stepped away from the corporate world and came back to, back to insurance full time and opened my agency, I decided that, uh, we were going to have a people, uh, people first mindset. And, uh, I think that you've heard from almost day one, my, my motto is, uh, people over profit. And that, that motto just rings rings true that um, we, we focus on people, not policy numbers. Um, the insurance world as a whole has, has gotten, <laughs> like business as a whole, uh, has gotten in a mindset where it's all about money. Um, and though money's not a bad thing, it uh, it can bring out some just real evil in the world and, and bring out the, the mindset of just I'm here to, to complete a task and not um, focus on the relationship and how I can actually help. Um, so from day one, I've looked at, you know, how can I actually look at the people that I help and the conversation that we have, um, where is the impact going to last? It's not about, yes, there's protection there that I'm offering so I can be there in some of the worst times of their life. But beyond that, where are the times that they're at right now in life and how can I help them now instead of waiting to when the house burns down, uh, you know, both medic metaphorically and, and physically is, in, if we don't open up those conversations, the house might be burning spiritually right now. And that's uh, that, that's a passion for me, me is protecting everything um, physically, but then beyond that. So it, <clears throat> beyond that, like, like you've, you said, I, I had a weight loss journey at that. That's been a, been a part of it. Um, so uh, we were joking a little bit ago that uh, I've got a face for radio and I, I believe that a hundred percent. But I, I jokingly say now I'm uh less than half the man I used to be. And that is absolutely true physically. And, <laughs> and otherwise, um, you wouldn't look at me today and know that at, uh, at one point I was at least 420 pounds. Uh, and that wasn't that long ago. Um, I had uh, bariatric surgery in August 19th of 2020. Um, and since then, uh, I've lost 247 pounds. Um, and it's, it's been a rocking roller coaster ever since. Um, but what I found in that, that the, the fun thing about that journey is, um, I've got to experience a lot of different people with it. Um, 
my journey's been different than a lot of people. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot of negative connotations and in, in surgeries and those kind of things. And, and it was it was to you know fix a health imbalance that I had. I didn't know that I had. I fought it for ten years. Uh, it fought it really my whole life, but didn't know that I had the uh, the hormone imbalances that I had. Um, so that mixed with a whole bunch of other things caused the uh, the weight loss. We couldn't get it off. So it literally that the day after surgery, within three months, I was down a hundred pounds, and uh, it was. <laughs> we got to a point after about nine months of uh, you know down a, a, over two hundred pounds. You were like, all right, when is this roller coaster gonna stop? And how do you stop it? Uh, start starting to freak out a little bit. Uh, and I remember calling the doctor's office and saying, hey. Uh, when should I be worried? Uh, and he looked, <laughs> uh, they came back and they were like, yeah, when, when you hit 160 pounds, you know, um, let me know. And I was like, whoa, 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 420 to 160. That seems crazy. And they were like, why? I was like, well, first off, I haven't been 160 probably since third grade. So um, that's terrifying. Um, but I, I just I realized that I, it, was, it wasn't about me um, and, and that, that took some some getting used to. Um, that there was a lot of pride in it. Uh, That's the reason I didn't didn't do the surgery up until that point as well. There was a lot of pride in it that I could do it on my own, and realize that um, there's a lot of, a lot of need of community around me. Uh, and as I le- leaned more into the community and support around me, I realized that um, you know, the reason that I did it was for my family, but ultimately it was for me, and I missed that piece. Um, so as I got about about a year after uh, surgery, I, I, I walked through the bathroom one day and and kind of scared myself because uh, I didn't know who was in the mirror. <laughs> uh, still to this day, it's kind kind of freaky. Um, you look in, you're like, that's not that's not who you used to be. And and really relating back as as I, I think it's funny that um, I was teaching a, a class at church the other day and. Um, I believe the Lord has used my surgery and my weight loss journey to, to just speak back into me to say, you're not the man you used to be because I am guiding you to be the man I want you to be. Um, and that that's really just kind of set heavy on my heart. Um, and it's, it's really given me a new passion to, to step forward and say, okay, well, where, where do you want me and what do you want of me? Um, and it's no longer about, you know, not just how I can serve, but how do you want me to serve God uh, and kind of go from there. So it's been, it's been fun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited. I feel like we're at the precipice of uh, something amazing and I don't know what it is. That's uh, awesome. I, I'd love to be that because I like to food, food too much. So as you can tell, so. <laughs> but for those of you, for those of the listening that may not know, can you share what the, the surgery you had? What, what, what is it like? What? Yeah, you know. absolutely. So the, the the surgery itself, that there's a couple different uh, versions of bariatric surgery. Uh, you, uh, you've probably heard of like lap bands. It's basically just a band that that constricts the ability to eat. Uh, doesn't really do anything as far as the size of your stomach. There's the gastric sleeve, which literally cuts your stomach down. There's a gastric bypass um, that literally bypasses your stomach uh, and goes straight to straight to your lower intestine. Um, that and what each of them do is either restrictive or malabsorption um, in in the whole system. So basically what it does is the restrictive is literally what it is. It's restricting you from what you can eat. Malabsorption is um, 
which is what the gastric bypass is, it doesn't allow you to process the food and pull as much nutrients out at one time. So it, it uh, alleviates the overeating uh, ability because it, it passes through the system a lot faster. Uh, what I had is called a duodenal switch. Um, there's a more fancy term than that I can't pronounce, but uh, it's a it's a modified uh, surgery. It, it's the the shorter term is called a SADI. It's a newer newer surgery that, that was approved. Um, Actually, back during COVID, um, I, I, that, that's how I knew God was in, in the works because that was not the surgery I was going to get. Um, it was about a week before my surgery schedule, scheduled date when COVID hit, and it shut everything down. Mm. Uh, so I didn't have it. It was That was in March. I didn't get to have the surgery till August. And during that time, my doctor got board certified for the, the surgery that I had that was the one I wanted all along. Um, so just – Seeing that progression happen was even cooler, and looking back on it now. But uh, basically, what what the surgery I had is is a mixture between a uh, gastric sleeve, uh, which is takes the stomach, which your stomach is about the size of a two liter bottle, uh, and cuts it down to the size size of about a medium sized banana um, in size. And then they cut the bottom part of your stomach where it connects to your upper intestine, and they moved it down my upper intestine about fifty percent. So I've got uh, malabsorption as well as restrictive surgery built into both. Um, so it, it kind of satisfies both. And really what I've learned is um, everybody asked me that the big question, well, what can you eat and uh, does it cause problems? And yes and no. Um, so the, the diet is, is really, um, if you think about the food pyramid, what you've always, always been told, you should, you should be eating, you know, four to five meals a day and uh, good snacks and good, healthy stuff. That's literally what I eat. Um, I have, I have very little restrictions that my body has, has thrown against me and it, it, it'll tell you, it'll tell you instantly what you should not eat. <laughs> it'll, it'll give it back to you. Uh, but it, it's, it's been good to kind of see that. Um, and, and kind of walk that journey. So it's a, uh, I love talking to people about it, giving my story with, uh, with how it works and, and telling people how beneficial it can be. But there's also times where it, it's not a good fit. Um, and it's, it's good to talk. Which I think is, is important. Like you said, to talk about, because you know, people, they try diets, they try different mm -hmm. things and you got to find what's right for you Absolutely. to do it. And so talk to as many people as possible. Talk to Daniel and you know, what works for you. So, uh, continuing with the servant heart, you're getting ready to go on a, uh, a mission trip, correct? Yep, uh, I am. It's, it's actually my first uh, international mission trip. Uh, I've served all around the country over the years um, you know, domestically, but this is the first international trip. I'm, I've been super excited about it, going to uh, Nairobi, Kenya, uh, and we're going to be serving in the uh, a little bit in the slums of Chimera, um, which is an enormous slum uh, uh, of the world where you – know, don't quote me, but I think it's a couple million people in like a three mile uh, square wow. radius. I mean, it's it's a tiny place with way too many people. Is basically what it runs down to. So uh, we're going to be doing some some different service in and there. You know, washing of hands and feet of, of children, passing out some shoes uh, for a couple of days, doing some pastoral training, and then we're going to be flying out to um, the outskirts of. I can't remember somewhere in the, the countryside of, of Kenya. Um, and we're going to be doing some, some mission projects out there where our church has built a uh, widows and, and women's uh, shelter and center out there. And we're going to be, be finishing that, that the 
mission trip itself is a construction uh, trip. So there's 12 guys going. We're going to be basically the pack mules and uh, and service hands of uh, of the project. So it's going to be going to be a lot of fun. Uh, get to experience things. Um, but and I'm, I'm looking forward to it and uh, and getting to see it. It's, it's been interesting to see. First time I've ever had to fundraise uh, for this type of uh, of trip, but it's it became real. I got I got our flight information yesterday, so it's uh, it's ready. Uh, we take off October 20th, so I'm T minus uh, I guess a month and five days. Right. So it's right. uh, it's exciting. It's so you, exciting. you mentioned the fundraising part. So other than praying for this trip, well, how can people help? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, obviously, that the number one would be prayer uh, over over myself. One for for my diet uh, would be a huge one. Uh, I've not only have I never eaten Kenyan food, uh, but that mixed with you know my surgery can cause some some interesting <laughs> right. uh, dietary needs over there. So, so we're going to be watching that closely. So that's a big one. Pray over the team. Pray over the people there uh, that our impact can be can be good. But then also financially, uh, I, I've got a support page that that I can I can send you, Brian. Um, but it, it's a uh, it's a journey. Um, over there, and I, I want to say it's it's eighteen hundred dollars. I think think is what what our our goal to fundraise is, and that's going to go not only to the flight and the the food and the housing over there, but also uh, the building itself uh, to help finish that. So um, definitely, prayer is number one. Um, but if there's gifts or somebody wants to give, I'd love to love to be able to take that. Yeah, if you want to send that to me? We'll help we push that up for you. So um, we'll get to Grace Point here in just a minute. But you talked about going through your journey and leaning into community. And that's one thing we talked about all the time of the show is, is positive things in the community. So why is it important for you to be part of the community? Absolutely. So, uh, one, uh, for me, uh, it's, it's two things. Um, the great commission itself. Um, it, uh, Jesus, Jesus told us we have to go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, but one of my favorite verses uh, of the Bible is Acts 1-8, and that's, you'll be my witness in all, all of J- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Um, and if I want to live true to that, I have to be involved in my community. Um, and that not not just because you know I want to see you know, the world change for Christ, but also because if I'm not in the community, I can't be a servant um, and I can't help people in any way, um, regardless of, of religion. I mean, take, take religion out for everything. If I'm, I can't be a, a, by definition of a good person without being connected to people. Uh, so it, it's that connectional uh, ministry, connectional relationship that, that matters to me. Um, so I dive in as much as I can in the community. And, and the other part is, you know, I grew up here. Uh, I want to see this community changed and, and really, this community be a place that not only people want to be, but are passionate about being here because it, because it's a difference than around the world. I, I've heard of places that you know neighbors don't know neighbors, and, and that happens around here. But you know, in the South here, we're uh, we're different in the in the fact a lot of people come down there like it's it's amazing how friendly people are, and I'm like. I look at some people, I'm like, I don't know if they're friendly or not. Uh, but but I look at it, I'm like, maybe I'm just used to it. Uh, don't let them sit in Atlanta traffic. Right, right. <laughs> it, it, it's not friendly there, for sure. But it's it's uh, it's just that difference. It's that thought process of um, you can't be connected without being involved. Um, and you can't get to know people. If it's about relationships, uh, you can't build a relationship without sitting next to people. Uh, that that shoulder to shoulder time is is powerful. You know, for men, it's you know, just sitting next to each other. You don't have to say anything, uh, 
and and you know for for the ladies out there that they're obviously a little bit different uh, that, that they're designed a little different they like they enjoy talking i can do that too but um you know it's it's one it's just i like to sit shoulder to shoulder and just enjoy people uh it's, it's a lot of fun so we also talk a lot about the power of networking in here and i know you you and i that's how you and i met was networking groups and yep. uh, i had one of our mutual friends on uh, matthew Payne was on here the other day and we okay. talked about c-suite for christ i know you're involved in that as well but can you share a positive story or a testimony about networking yeah absolutely so um I, I, I can I can use Matt for for instance. Um, you know Matt Matt Payne with C Suite for Christ. I get to sit on the board uh, with him, and and really I I, I think it for me sitting on the board and, and helping them kind of develop that ministry is is really just me being a sponge soaking up the knowledge and the wisdom that the other board members have that I wish I one day can get to. Um, it, they may not see it that way, but that's absolutely how I see it. If I could be a sponge and be half the man, uh, some of them are half the, uh, um, with the ladies, the, the prayer warriors they are and, and just the, the people and the passion they have. If I can, if I can be a quarter of that, uh, I'll be better than I'll have, I've, I've ever been. So it's one that, um, with C Suite for Christ, I've gotten to know Matt really well. Um, and just him and his, his wife, Buffy, um, understanding who they are and their passion, um, they've become, um, I don't even know if they know I feel like this, but it's uh, they, they've become really mentors to me uh, and really seeing how they live out. Um, Mike with ETS Solutions uh, is, is another one there where he, he boldly challenged me a couple weeks ago to, uh, in a conversation, he was like, you know, if, if, you, if you, love, you love God, why don't you say it in your conversations? And I was like, you know, that's an interesting concept. Uh, he, he goes, I can tell by talking to you that, that it's there. But he goes, you know, Grace Point, you've told me your, your, your name with Grace Point. Uh, it's obvious that, that you live um, in, in that. But where, where is it? Um, he goes, for example, when Mike talks about ETS Solutions, he, he says, you know, uh, ETS Solutions is a, is a faith-first family, uh, family-oriented environment. Uh, and I was like, you know, that's true. That's exactly who I am. Um, so it, it, that networking, he's challenged me in that so that, that that's become part of my conversation. I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I, I, I bring it out and I tell people like you may, it may not be a fit to work with me, uh, just because we do things a little bit different, but what I can do is, is I'll help educate and I'll help, uh, help you go wherever you need to go. And I, I'm, I'm passionate about that, but um, that, that's who I am. I'm faith first, family second, um, and then relationship third. Uh, and I keep it in that order on purpose because um, it, it helps stabilize me to where I need to go. So uh, Grace Point, that's a good, good segue to talk about Grace Point. So first of all, tell me how the name came about. Yeah, so uh, Grace Point itself um, – I wish I could tell you with some miraculously uh, God-given name. Um, it, it is in every business that, that me and my wife have had, um, and you know, we have a couple. Uh, we, we've sold one. We started out with years ago. And I've, I've told you we own a bounce house company here in here in Atlanta. Um, it's a fast-growing bounce house company. We sold it. Um, it's called Uplifting Rentals. Uh, it's a play on words on purpose. Uh, we wanted to show you know our faith in it, but we also not that we wanted to hide it, but we wanted to we wanted to do it in a way that wouldn't be detrimental to people not of faith. Um, but we wanted to show them we are faith, faith based. 
but also that we're here to serve. Uh, so Uplifting Rentals came out with that because, one, it's funny. Um, you know, you're bounce house, you're uplifting. Right. Uh, but it's also that was part of our culture is we wanted to uplift people. Um, Grace Forward into Grace Point, uh, same thing. When we were opening up the agency, it was – I looked at, looked at my wife, Lacey, and I said, I want this to be a – the name itself, I want to show our mission and our vision. And our mission and our vision is is simple. Uh, I want to be a point of grace in my community and be a light uh, to everyone around me in whatever that means. And it, not not just in, in you know spiritual or religious way, but just in a simple way. I want to be something different so that I can bring light to an industry that is viewed as dark. Um and that's an industry problem. Uh, as as a industry, for the most part, the, I wouldn't say we get a ten out of ten. You know, we, when people when people talk about insurance and financial services, it's they're not like, oh yeah, I really want to talk about mm-hmm. that. That, that. That's one of my passions. Um, and though it is for me, I enjoy it. It's uh, it, it's probably a three out of a ten, if at best, for most people. And especially right now with the, with the market the way it is, you know, rates always going up and. And you know, a lot of people don't understand you know, why and those kind of things. It it when we looked at the name, we said we want to make sure people understand that it's a service first, um, because the industry as a whole years ago uh, used to be service oriented. Uh, you used to know your agent. You used to your your agent used to be somebody who would come over and have dinner with you and make sure things were done right. Uh, and I would love to have dinner with anybody that wants to have dinner with me. I can eat. Uh, <laughs> I can hide some groceries, but it's a, uh, it's one that that's the mindset we wanted to bring back. And we wanted to, we wanted to make it truly a light in the darkness uh, and radically change the world. We also have a passion for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Dave Ramsey endorsed local provider. And, and th- though that doesn't mean a lot to, to most people, uh, what we do with that is we have a passion and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I stole this from a good friend of mine up in Missoula, Montana, and he said it was okay, but, uh, his, his mission and vision for his agency is to end financial crisis in America, starting with one policy at a time. Uh, and I, I've adopted that into us and that's exactly what I want to do. I want to, I want people to understand their protection um, so that it's not if it's when people come after you. Um, I, I it, we know that because if you drive down the the interstate, look look up at the billboards. How many of those are you know lawyers that are are ready to come come after the insurance companies? Right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, there are times where that's absolutely necessary, and I forward uh, customers to them. But that's a big reason why the industry, why the rates are going up and everything that, that's happening. So in that, it's not if, it's when and how to properly protect yourself. And if we're going to end a financial crisis, we have to understand what financial services and what financial health means. Um, and that, that's where that came from. So it, going back to the name itself, <laughs> we were coming back from a, a business meeting where we were starting our agency. Uh, and on the way back, and we sorted through – hundreds of names. Um, and one, one thing we always do uh, as, as business owners, we're smart enough to know before you can pick a name, you got to make sure you have a website that works. Um, and not only a website that works, but a website that uh, can be spelled out. Uh, <laughs> so people actually go to it. Uh, so as we, we had some great ones, um, but every one of them was either taken or that uh, people are not going to be able to, to do that. Uh, so we were actually driving by and GPS took us in the mountains of nowhere, North Georgia. And we rolled by and as we rolled by that, there was a church on the left-hand side of the road. I'll never forget it. The steeple had a bright light shining out from the top of it, almost like a lighthouse. Um, 
and the sign was illuminated. It was like the only thing in this area in the middle of nowhere. Um, it just said Grace Point. And I looked at Lacey. I said, look that up. Uh, and gracepointinsurance.com was available. And instantly we knew. Uh, we said, that is the name. Um, and we said, that is, you know, I actually haven't thought about it till right this second and never really put the two and two together of the light and the steeple being a lighthouse. And I just talked about wanting to be the light in the darkness. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. That's uh, that's interesting. Uh, but that, that, that's exactly where, where it came from. Um, and that's, that just speaks to who we want to be uh, and how we want to serve. So you guys are a, a broker, right? You're yep. an insurance broker. We're an independent agency. We represent about 30 different companies uh, directly uh, and access to you know, dozens and uh, more uh, the way the insurance market opens up. So there's literally nothing we can't do. Um, there's always an option out there. Um, it's the difference between like a captive captive market, like a state farm or a American family where they're good in, in certain things. Uh, we have options outside of that, which was the other reason why we wanted to go independent. Um, so it, it's, we specialize in commercial and, and one of the things we do is churches and nonprofits. It's a passion we have uh, because those, those are industries that are usually left in the dark uh, and also don't have a budget uh, to usually pay for stuff. So it, it's where we can, where we can usually help step in. That's and, another and, reason he's here. Cause <laughs> I want him to talk to you. Okay, so. <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, See, yeah. I've been set up. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it, it's one that, um, you know, if, if I can educate that that's, that is primary. I, I tell everybody, I don't care if you do business with us or not. I mean, I would love to, uh, one, I want to know who you are, how I can serve you. And then if I can, if I can do business with you, that that's just a bonus on top. Um, but if I can help educate you, I tell all my customers, I, I've had a couple here lately with the, how bad the market is. And I, if you haven't got your renewals yet, just hold on. Cause it's, just close your eyes and, and don't look at it because it, it's it's painful. Um, but I've had a couple call me and they're like, we don't want to leave, but we're finding savings. And and I, I talked to them. I'm like, listen, do you understand what you have now versus what you're going to? And are they the same? Uh, and, and we'll walk through it. And there's a couple of them that they've, they've sent me the new quotes just to cross check. And I'm like, yes, you need to go with this. And they're like, why would you tell me that? And I'm like, because it's best for you. Like that, that's my job is to educate you. And if my education takes you somewhere else, then good on me. I did my job um, because that's what I want. I want, I want you to be able to protect your family. And if that, if you know, the rates that we have aren't the best out there, then that's fine. Um, we want you to be in the best situation possible. And, you know, long-term that you may come back that the market's going to get better ish somewhere uh sometime <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be fine it's an election year it won't be this year yeah it, it, it it's it's probably going to be uh 2025 or, or after but yeah it is what it is uh it's it's just what we we sit in um education is fun and i kind of geek out on it a little bit so it's uh it, it's all right <laughs> so you guys also do personal though other as well right yep. uh, we, we do personal uh personal right now that that's the market that's probably harder than anything uh just because there there's a lot of you know for instance in in the um since january of this year we've had eight carriers in the state of georgia either back out or cut off completely uh nationwide insurance for one is not writing any new business nationwide right now um so it's it's very difficult to get anything done uh, and really what what's causing that is you know uh lawyers tort reform uh contract law a, a bunch of different things that can really only be solved under the gold dome down in atlanta um 
but you know it, that, that's a that's an internal debate. Um, we won't get into the politics of it, but it, it's what it is. It's bureaucracy that that causes those those issues uh, that that then reverberates back on you know the policyholders themselves. So. You know, educating people on that is just it's a tighter market than it's ever been. Usually what happens is when the independent market is tight, the captive markets like the state farms of the world are usually open and it's usually like a pendulum that swings back and forth. And this is the first time in you know, 14 years of me doing this um, that it is it's like the thing is stopped right in the middle. Like it is not moving. Uh, no side of the business is good. No side of the business is bad. It's just it is rough and tight everywhere um and the hurricanes that are coming through the storms that are coming through are not helping the claim situation um so it's a it's a multitude of pieces where you've got you know, that plus inflation you've got like 10 different factors that usually happen at different times so you might see that three percent increase a year normally and everybody's used to you know a small increase because you've got one factor playing at a time right now you've got all of them <laughs> so you're seeing increases that are 15 20 sometimes more percent and you're like what is going on and you're like i wish i could explain it better than that but it's uh it's just the current world we're living in right um, so you guys uh you're not are you you're not only licensed in georgia but you you have other places you can work right yep so we are all over the southeast um everywhere but louisiana right now uh, just because louisiana is, is is a very very tight problem market right now uh but, but all over the southeast and then we're in michigan iowa california uh texas uh, we're we're scattered i think it's 14 different states we're in so uh, we, we go where where policyholders need us to be really so i'll give a, a shout out for him because my mom had a friend who was moving from here back down to florida and was having trouble finding something and daniel took the time to talk to her i don't think it worked out with her then but no um, but we ended up forward her down to a, a good friend of mine down in florida um and he was able to help her out so it's a that's the other part of it going back to networking is if if I can't help, I'm going to find somebody who can. Um, and because and because we don't want to just have you out there not right. not knowing what you're doing. That's right. that's what we're licensed to do. That's that's what we're here to help. So real quick, I want to ask you if you can share uh, just a, some free tips on all three, if you don't mind. Something maybe for uh, personal, either home or or auto, either one. Something for commercial and something for nonprofits. If you can make it real quick on, on a yeah, tip. D- d- just tips and tricks. Yep. Uh, so on the personal side, definitely right now, if you haven't, j- just like when we came out of the the recession of you know oh eight oh nine, uh, everybody really needed to check their um, their reconstruction values on the homes and those kind of things. You absolutely need to do that. Where in two thousand nine, we, we we were overinsured a lot of times. Uh, now we are grossly underinsured. Uh, the the market as a whole typically adds anywhere between ten and twenty percent to your homeowner's value. So if you're, you know, say you're at five hundred thousand now, your renewal might say five forty on it. Uh, the problem is, is that is natural it does not necessarily mean that you are insured properly. So ask for a review and double check those coverages. Yes, it's going to go up a little bit, but the last thing you want to do is have a fire in the house and be underinsured and then hit coinsurance and not have a hundred percent replacement cost value. That's, that's, that's number one right now. Uh, and it's, it's an industry issue. The industry's aware of it. They're just not doing a good job fixing it. Um, the, uh, the commercial side, uh, was the next one you wanted to talk about. Really, in in business, I mean, everybody talks about just simple general liability and property on, on those uh, workers' comp, the the simple stuff. But really, what I found on that side is a coverage that most people don't pay attention to is professional liability. Uh, it d- doesn't affect every single industry, 
Uh, but professional liability is absolutely key. So uh, professional liability, and say, you know, we know it is doctors and lawyers, right? It's er- it's errors and omissions or it's malpractice insurance. Uh, that's what professional liability is. The, the, the industry has changed the name. It's the same thing. Um, a lot of industries need it and they don't understand it. Uh, like if you work with kids, if you're a counselor, if you don't have sexual abuse and molestation, you are opening yourself up to a massive lawsuit just just for the indication that you could be accused of it, uh, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the world we live in, um, and and that there's we run across it all the time, and, and it is it's cost costly, but at the end of the day, you you got to you got to weigh the difference of is it too much versus. What's the exposure you have? And and that, that's where the education piece comes in. Um, you educate and then you decide from there what is best for you. Um, churches and nonprofits, a uh, big one, the, the church's side, um, international liability. If, if your church is, is a you know, gospel preaching New Testament church where you are active and you are sending mission teams out and you don't have international liability – that's a problem. That's a big problem. Um, you need that. Um, you also need, um, again, sexual abuse, uh, molestation on there. Unfortunately, that's not something I wish a church ever had to have, but it is vital in today's world. Um, pastoral counseling, those kind of things. Um, nonprofits on the back end, same thing. Um, depending on what the nonprofit is doing and the exposure they have, um, it's vital to make sure the general liability may not be the coverages extending the right coverages to your personal business. And that's, that's what, when you get a contract, that's what everybody asks for. Nobody understands what they're actually asking for. Uh, it's a problem. It's a big problem. So Awesome. Thanks for sharing those. So if somebody's listening, wants to get a hold of you to talk about your services, how can they do that? Yeah. So, uh, it, you can call the office anytime, 678-224-9333. Uh, you can go to our website, gracepointinsurance.com, uh, fill out the contact form there, or you can email us anytime. You can e- email the team. Uh, you can email me directly at daniel at gracepointins.com, or you can email us at quotes at gracepointins.com. It goes to the whole team. So uh, multiple ways, um, just if you have any questions. And, again, we're not here to sell. Well, we're, we're here to help. So whatever we can do, we're, we're there for you. Awesome. Well, Daniel, thanks for coming and sharing your story and uh, why you're, what's your passion about what you're doing. Don't go anywhere. We're not done with you yet, but we're moving <laughs> over to Mr. Ted Rakowski from the Sandler Training Group. Ted, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for having me. So, again, everybody that's in this room are friends of mine, so that's another reason I like doing this because I get to hear stories and, and become friends. So, Ted and I met, I don't know, what, 12, 14 years ago at Marietta Business Association? Well, sort of eight. Yeah, well, uh, years ago, I like, you know, it's like the fish you catch, right? It's the, you know, like <laughs> to make it bigger. It feels like 14 years. Right, right. So um, you are have a story of overcoming. You've actually overcome cancer twice. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit of your background, your story, and we'll talk about Sandler here in a little bit. Uh, so the the story specific to cancer? Yes. Um, so it, it was uh, interesting. Uh, 2002, uh had surgery and got diagnosed with cancer uh, just two weeks after I got married. Uh, so uh, a little bit of a journey there. Um, it was radiation uh, daily during the week for a few months, and uh, I was all clear, free to go. Uh, it, and that was back in – I was living up in the Northeast, uh, moved out to Arizona a few years later, and uh, I was in my 30s, a male. Of course, I didn't see any doctors, so I didn't, I didn't go to any doctors and – um, after being there for uh, a couple of years without seeing a physician, getting my annual physical, uh, I had problems even drinking water. 
so I, I went to go see a doctor my wife had seen, and uh, I got a. Uh, he gave me samples of something for uh, like GERD or something like that. Uh, I, I knew it wasn't that, but with my history, he sent me for an X-ray and CAT scan, and the X-ray showed uh, cancer and lymph nodes in my chest. So uh, 2006 was four years later. Uh, cancer had traveled, uh, got through lymph nodes, so that was uh, radiation, no surgery. Uh, because it was in, in the lymph nodes of my chest, I didn't want to uh, take the lymph nodes out, uh, but blasted me with chemo. So I, I because of the size I was, and uh, it was, I don't know what they classify that as stage three, or because it traveled, uh, I got more than a regular dosage anybody else would have. Uh, so it was about six months worth of uh, cycles of chemo, uh, and wrapped up. It's coming up on seventeen years now. So October of two thousand six. And uh, knock on wood, uh, since then everything's been great. Uh, we've got a 14 year old son, happened naturally. Uh, so, awesome. yeah, I, I, I got nothing to complain about. It was, it was a journey, uh, and still feeling the repercussions of it, but yeah. Awesome. Well, so uh, somebody may be listening who may be going through what you went through. Can you give them a little, little advice of what, you know, some hope? Uh, you know, I, I was surrounded by people who, we're looking out for me. Uh, I, I will tell you that, I, especially the second time around, I, sh- I shut down. Uh, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be bothered. Really, uh, I slept a lot of the day. It was probably twelve to eighteen hours uh, on any given day. I was working, but only half time. I was part time disability uh, for that time, uh, and I, I literally just hung out with the dogs. Uh, my, my wife basically knew exactly what I needed and, and supported me. Um, but f- I had friends and family around me that, uh, they gave me a lot of support You're talking about community earlier, uh, without that community. I, I don't know that I would have gotten through it like I did. So, uh, that brings the, I'll go and ask that question then. So because you had that community, why is it important for you to be part of the community? Wow. That's a great question. Uh, I, I don't know that I do a good enough job at that, especially listening to uh, Daniel earlier. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I do a great enough job at that. Uh, I, I, I believe I've, I've learned quite a bit, especially over the past eight years uh, and having the business. It's humbled me. Uh, so I, I, what I attempt to do now is help others. So it's, although I'm in a business, there's a lot that I do that goes above and beyond what's in the business just in helping others. And it's a lot of times it's people I'm working with who, you know, I, I've, I've made the mistakes that I see them making. And the last thing I want to do is, is try to tell them what to do. But it's really asking questions to, to help them figure out the things that, quite frankly, it took me pain to realize and understand and learn. Um, so I, I, I think what I do in, with community now, as much of that as, as I possibly can, um, and, and frankly, it's with a 14-year-old son, there's a lot of doing that as well, making sure that he's on the right path um, and making sure that he's not making mistakes. That right. I Right. Well, I, I mean, I will say you've, you've helped out a couple of things that I've done. You, uh, several years ago or one of our whole sponsors of the golf tournament, you're doing it again this year. So I know you're positive and trying to help other people that way. And we'll get into the business of what you do and helping people that way as well. But, uh, let's talk about the networking piece too, as well, because that's how you and I met. Um, yep. and so, um, I know at the time, you know, that particular group, there were some negatives, there were some positives, but can you share a positive testimony about networking for you? If- Frankly, the people I've met through networking have, have been fantastic. I've got clients through networking. Um, not 
people I've networked with, but introductions I've made through other people. Uh, frankly, working with uh, somebody we both know very well, uh, currently great guy. Um, I think a lot of most of the people I've met here in Atlanta and before I had my business, I, I was on the, I was on an airplane every single week. So I knew nobody here until I opened my business. And the people I've met have been through the networking, like where we met, um, and a lot of open network, networking around Atlanta through clients and through, through connections. It's, uh, I wouldn't have what I have now without it. Well, you actually, uh, with your business, which we'll, we'll talk about, but you, you're, you're also go out and speak and you, I mean, that's part of your business is training. So, uh, tell us a little bit about Sandler and what you do. So we, we help businesses, uh, we're traditionally known in the sales world where we, we help uh, sales organizations. Uh, we, we help businesses with the sales process and typically it's, it's solopreneurs up to international organizations. Typically they are already successful. They're doing what they do well, but they recognize that they can be doing better. Uh, so we, we help them with that no matter what it is. And, and for some organizations or for people, if they're looking to grow the organization, just making sure that they've got the right people that they're bringing on somebody who, who can fit the organization uh, and making sure that those people are in the right positions, they're in the right places. So it's, it's kind of the bringing the right people on the bus and making sure they're in the right seat. I've heard that analogy before, and, and I'll use it, but that's a lot of what we do. Uh, and making sure that uh, when they bring those people on, that there's a path for growth so that the organization can grow and, and they can grow as people and professionals as well. Can you share a little difference? I mean, because there's other organizations out there that do training and stuff. So like the Maxwell group, you've got Sandler, you've got other groups. Uh, what is the difference for you guys versus some of the other groups that are out there? Uh, I, I can't speak to what they do. Uh, I, I know that, and I will say this with, with Sandler as well, we're a worldwide network. There's over 200 people like me around the world, our, our licensees and delivering services, and I'm quite different from many of them as well. Uh, but the work that I do with clients is, is I'm best off if I can get to know the organization very, very well, what they're doing, what they do well, and, and where they're, I'll say, broken or, or can improve upon. Uh, when, when I'm allowed to come into the organization and get close enough, it's where I can have the biggest impact. So can you take us through that? So what, what, what's kind of a, a day like for you for a client? I'm sure it's different for everybody, but what's a normal, typical day look like? Uh, great question. So t- today, typically, uh, I, I would have been training this morning at 9 o'clock, and I moved that training out to 2 o'clock this afternoon. So I, I've got clients that uh, are around Atlanta. We'll be dialing in by Zoom, and, and we've got a weekly training. So it's just an hour and a half. Uh, and, and those are professionals in a bunch of different uh, positions and solopreneurs, COO for, for an organization. Uh, but I, I, will, I spend time at a client where I'm, I'm spending time in the office pretty regularly now uh, working with them side by side in their day-to-day operations, just getting an understanding of what they're doing and helping them out. And sometimes it's just slight nudges um, over a longer period of time just to, to steer them in the right direction. Um, and, and for others, it's I'm there once a month or once a quarter. Uh, it literally is different for every single client. There are no two that are alike. Uh, it's really based on what they need and what I can offer to them. Uh, and very much like Daniel, uh, I'm not the right fit for everybody. And the sooner that I can recognize that through conver- having a conversation with somebody, uh, either them or myself recognizing that I'm not the right fit and maybe there's somebody better, uh, I, I don't work with everybody. 
So, so you also well. you also offer seminars. I mean, it, you came and spoke. Uh, what was it last month? Yep. Uh, at our learning table, which is the Cardinal Business Club uh, monthly luncheon that we do, and try to help business owners learn different things about business. But you do seminars as well, right? So yeah, yeah, workshops, seminars, uh, speaking engagements. Yeah, if a, a business organization or a networking group is looking for somebody uh, to talk about something within sales, uh, do that. Uh, I'm, I'm doing fewer boot camps than I did before, but those are typically uh, it's via Zoom again. Typically about sixty to ninety minutes on a sales topic. Where I'll invite people uh, who could be prospects, but I'll put something out there on LinkedIn and post uh, an event. I'll host it on Zoom. It's typically one topic on sales or sales leadership. So uh, everybody's actually a salesperson, whether they say it or not, right? So can you give us a little uh, nugget on a a sales thing that you might talk about? Um, Well, last month I did the first five minutes of the sales call, and it was focused around what what salespeople can do um, to maintain control of the call. Uh, maintain control of the conversation. I think um, salespeople quite often hand over control to the prospect. And it, it sounds like that's a, a bad thing to, to maintain control of the call, but it literally is a salesperson's job to, to understand whether or not that prospect is a right fit for the salesperson. Salesperson's a right fit for that prospect. And uh, in the steps that we talked about, and it literally is things like the upfront contract, just setting the right expectations, which it's, it sounds like it's it's very complicated, but it literally is talking about how much time do we have together? How much time you know do you have for me today? Uh, and if I was expecting sixty minutes and you've got fifteen minutes because you've got a, a scheduled appointment that we didn't talk about, better know that upfront. Um, and then talking about in this with the upfront contract, defining what happens at the end in the beginning of the conversation. So what yes means, what no means, uh, and literally eliminating that. Now, what's the one thing you don't want to hear as a salesperson at the end of a conversation? So three bad words, which are thinking over. Uh, you don't want that thinking over. So, yes, doesn't necessarily mean that you're handing over a credit card or signing a contract. It may just mean we're, we're talking about what's the next conversation look like, who needs to be involved, and when and where is that. And it's funny because everybody's like, well, I don't want to hear the word no. A lot of times I'd rather hear the word no than let's think it over. Um, no is Yes is best. No is second best. Uh, the worst is think it over. So I shared this a couple weeks ago, but you know, I got first got into sales. Everybody's like, I can't believe you're a salesperson. How do you handle no? And it's because I'm used to it, right? When I was in college, I asked every single girl out, and that's what they said was no. So it, it, it really. But I think the most important thing for sales, it's all about establishing the relationship, right? It's step one, uh, bonding a rapport. Yeah, it, it's. That, that bonding rapport is you earn the currency of that relationship, which is trust. Uh, without that bonding rapport, there's nothing else. So do you just work in, in Atlanta or are you able to work nationwide? Or Great what? question. Uh, so I, I am able to reach out to anybody within the state of Georgia. Uh, but when I'm invited in elsewhere, uh, I happen to be speaking uh, at a company's annual conference in November. Uh, that's in Louisiana. Uh, that doesn't happen often. But yeah, I can be... If I'm invited in elsewhere, I, I can work elsewhere. Okay. So I'm just curious. I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this, but I'm, uh, you know, especially given the world of sales, uh, how did you choose this particular career track and, and then jump into the, the Sandler part? <clears throat> so, so you talk about the career track of sales? Yep. That was completely by accident. So uh, I went to school at a small business school in the Northeast. I grew up in, in Connecticut. Uh, went to a small school in Rhode Island. Nobody here has ever heard of it before. 
uh, and I went for marketing. There, there were no sales uh, majors back then. Uh, today, you've got schools like Kennesaw State uh, where you can actually major in sales. And there's a few schools around the country where you can do that. Uh, I went to school for marketing, uh, was thinking about maybe I get into advertising. Uh, I, I knew salespeople. My father who was 80 years old and is still in sales. He's been selling for as long as I've been alive. Yeah, that's awesome. You told me about him. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, he still goes out there every day. And he, he's he's basically hanging out with his friends all day. Uh, but but he's still selling. Uh, and I, I there was somebody who I knew, who I worked for, and he, he pointed it out. It was, it was very simple. He, doctors make a lot of money, but the people who made more money than doctors were typically salespeople. So that, that caught my attention. And when I got out of school... Uh, it was the early 90s. Nobody was hiring for anything. Uh, and I went back to work for a trucking company that I worked for during the summers during school. And uh, was just working the dock loading and unloading trucks. And that was my first opportunity in sales. So it was before anything that you have today, uh, LinkedIn, cell phones, uh, GPS. I had a map. They gave me keys to an old Buick, and they said, go out and sell. And it was uh, called the milk route. Um, you know, Monday you're in, in this city, Tuesday you're in this city, and it's knocking on doors. And sales back then, it's, what I learned is, hey, go out, meet people, and uh, you, you take people for lunch, you drop off donuts and bagels, and, and sooner or later you get the opportunity to sell something. And literally that's the way I sold for uh, about 10 years. I ended up in, in transportation for a decade. I spent a little time in operations. And uh, I ended up working for a national uh, trucking company, and in the first year I was there, I, I, my territory blew up. I, I ended up, uh, I didn't exactly land this client, but I took a small client and grew them exponentially. Uh, they were in computer networking. It was right around uh, Y2K. It was, just, it was 1999. Uh, their, their account just skyrocketed. And my territory blew up because of them. And when it came to the raise point in the year, I got $1,000 raise in my base salary. And uh, it wasn't commission sales. And I saw everything that was going in technology. I was like, this is not the role for me. If I'm going to work and, and succeed, I, I need to make some money. And uh, I, I was looking for something in technology. And I, I didn't land that job until after you know, Y2K came and, and, and went. It was 2000, October 2000. Ended up in software licensing. Uh, and, and that's where I got my introduction to Sandler. So it was 23 years ago. Uh, Sandler taught me a process on selling that wasn't the knocking on doors, delivering bagels and donuts, and, and you know the crossing the fingers and hoping that I'd land business. And it worked me through a process, and, and that's that's what I took from that. Uh, and then that kind of lends into the story where uh, met my wife, uh, moved from the Northeast to Arizona to North Carolina, and then here. Ended up in a variety of different roles, a variety of different industries. So from transportation to software licensing uh, was uh, temperature control packaging, of all things, medical oxygen for six years, background screening, and then uh, then in marketing, digital marketing. And that's where uh, I actually reached out to somebody I knew from the software licensing days who was uh, involved in Sandler. I was going to have that person come in and work with the organization. And uh, that conversation evolved from them coming into work with me to me leaving my role to take the dive and, and go into Salem for myself, which I did. 
So another way for a good sales, and I always hear about this, and I'm terrible at the, at the sport, but a lot of sales get done on the golf course. Are you a golfer? The last time I golfed was actually before I got diagnosed the second time, back in 2006. So it's 17 years ago. I've been to Top Golf, uh, but other than a driving range, no. I, I'm I'm good at the miniature golf. We could just start having sales on miniature well. golf. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I want to ask a little bit because I've done sales for almost 30 years myself, and. Uh, I know some people who are very motivated by straight commission. I am not one of those. Um, but can you speak about, you know, maybe what's it look like doing a commission sales job, strictly commission versus having that safety net, I guess you would say, of a base and commission? So uh, the strictly commission, it's it's scary some, some days. Uh, Daniel spoke about having the support of his wife. I, I am the same person. If, if my wife was not supportive, she could have told me two years ago, go get a job, and, and I would have had to get a job. So she, she's been uh, my foundation, my rock. She's really the reason why I'm still doing what I'm doing. Um, so I've, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Uh, but the, the, the flip side of that coin is when, when you land, you know this, when you land a new client, the feeling, there's no better feeling than landing that client. Uh, and when you have a series of those and you have successes and you're able to grow that, um, the growth that you can have and, and the success that you can build, it's, it's fantastic. And it's very, very different than uh, my transportation job where I blew things up and did not get the reward I felt I deserved. You, you are paid exactly what you deserve to get paid uh, when you're strictly commissions. So if you're working hard, you can make a lot of money. So what about the the draw aspect? I've always draw to me is very very dark. <laughs> uh, it depends on how that's set up. I, I so eight years ago I did not have any kind of draw whatsoever. Uh, there's that non recover. So I've got clients who who have kind of a non recoverable draw uh, because the, the the time it takes for a person to build up their territory and start bringing business in. It's not days or weeks. Typically, it's months and quarters and sometimes years. Uh, so they, they will build that into their structure. Uh, I think every organization is different, and every organization has got to find what works for them. Can you explain, for those of us listening who may not know what a draw is, explain what that is. So, so one example, um, there, there's a client, I won't mention the industry or, or the client, but uh, they will start their sales reps off at, at a, a very handsome salary. And it's, it's six figures plus. Uh, then after, I believe it's after two years, that, that salary comes down. Uh, and, and it goes down to five figures. But over the course of that couple of years, this person should have built up enough uh, clients. They should build up their base of clients enough where they're bringing in enough business and commissions where it's going to be more than what that original salary is. Uh, so it, it's, it's simply money that supports that rep and keeps them motivated to make sure they're going out and doing what they're doing. So the other part that's important of that is that that leadership within the organization that has that structure has got to be working with that rep to make sure that they're doing the things that they need to be doing to grow their territory. Well, and also uh, some of those draws are set up where if you don't make that money, you got to pay it back. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen those. Uh, I don't work with any of those types of organizations, but, yeah, there, there are organizations that have that. And, yeah, you're on the hook. Yeah. You take anything, yeah, you got to pay that money back. Yeah. Um, so if somebody's listening wants to get a hold of you for either of your services or have you come speak, how can they do that? 
best place to reach me is, is email me. It's uh, ted.rykoski, at sandler.com, or just call me directly, 770-722-4081. Awesome, Ted. Thanks for sharing. Again, don't go anywhere. We're not done. Thanks, Brian. Uh, we're moving over to our my first repeat guest. Thank he's you. a little fidgety over there because he's hurting at the moment. But Kevin Harris, all in all at Ministries, thanks again for coming out. Yeah, man. You Absolutely. Were, you were back here in April which it seems like a very long time ago it was. It was uh, a long time ago. But a lot of has happened since April. We had your fundraiser event, and uh, some a lot of good things has happened. So uh, first of all, share about All in All Ministries, and then a short synopsis for those who didn't hear you last time of your story, why you started this ministry, and then we'll talk about the good things that's happening and things coming up. All right, short synopsis. Wow. Um Man, I'm 46. That's a lot of years to be in a short synopsis or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, so, uh, man, growing up, uh, grew up as a, um, youngest of four boys in a great home. Dad was a, um, principal, well, he was superintendent and then principal of school. Uh, then he became, uh, pastor by vocational. And so, uh, grew up in a great home. We, you know, um, Eat meals together, prayed together, the good old things uh, that you see on Leave It to Beaver and all that good stuff. Um, it wasn't like that, though. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, growing up, being the youngest of four boys, I really felt like, um, you know, I always was referenced as uh, Doug's son, Gail's son, Ron's little brother, Craig's little brother, Jeffrey's little brother. And so never really heard Kevin. So um, for me, I was looking for an identity. And by the time I made it to high school, because elementary and middle school were kind of in the same building. My dad was a principal to elementary school, so it was like I couldn't really get away from that. Even when I got in trouble in middle school, they'd take me to the elementary school. So, um, but once I got to high school, which was across the, uh, across town, felt like I'd, you know, make a name for myself, but that ended up, you know, hanging around the wrong crowd and, and being around the wrong people and, and started drinking as a freshman in high school. And by the time I graduated, um, I mean, I wasn't just drinking. I was, you know, doing drugs and, and anything else I could get my hand on. And so um, that pretty much started uh, uh, my addiction uh, to drugs and alcohol. And, um, man, I went through – Oh man, I'll just give you the shortness. Went through, tried college, didn't work, spent more time raking pine straw at the police station than I did in class. So I figured that wasn't a good fit. They thought it wasn't a good fit either and told me so. And, you don't um, get degrees in that either. <laughs> no, you don't. Not, not the degrees you need to make money. That's for sure. Um, so, um, came home, tried that, run around the same crowd. Um, Man, tried uh, settling down, and, and for a 20-year-old settling down, I thought that meant, you know, you find a girl, have a kid, have a family. And um, and uh, so tried that. Um, you know, we had one kid. Uh, 11 months later, we had another one. Had a little girl that was born a little uh, premature. Lungs weren't fully developed. Had problems breathing on her own. After about two months, uh, she ended up passing away. And uh, pretty devastating for anyone, uh, regardless of the age. But being so young and, and in the midst of an addiction, you know, it didn't fare well for me. So uh, so that, you know, just fueled my addiction. Um, you know, went, blew through uh, plenty of jobs, a uh, few other marriages, um, things like that. And then um, I tried to get clean a few times. Um 
they would last for a little bit and then I'd relapse. And, uh, this last time, a little 11 years ago, I started, um, you know, doing something I didn't think I would ever do. And that was one, start using a needle and shooting up drugs and, uh, started doing that. And man, my, my world, uh, come crumbling down really quick doing that. Uh, ended up doing something again, I thought I would never do. And that's break into a church. And I just didn't break into any church. I broke into a church that my dad had pastored for 19 years and church I grew up in and, and everybody knew me. And, and so, man, it was, um, it, it was tough. Uh, end up going to jail. Um, while I'm in jail, um, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And, you know, cause at the moment I was still in my addiction and still thinking, well, I'll just get out of here. Cause the plan was I convinced my parents that if they'd bail me out, I'd turn myself in. Cause I obviously it didn't take them long to figure out what moron broke into the church when you got a key and alarm code, you know what I mean? So, and, uh, so they figured it out pretty quickly and I thought, you know, I just go on the run seemed like a good idea, but I told them I'd turn myself in if they'd bail me out. And, and it's probably, I'm sure they've lied to me before, but they really lied to me this time because I thought I'd be getting out and, uh, you know, didn't about a week later, I got a little care package while I was in jail of like socks and, uh, deodorant, toothbrush, and toothpaste, and I'm like, this is not a good sign. <laughs> so uh, I ended up spending some time in jail um, trying to figure out what was going to happen because I'd gotten in trouble before, but I'd always either got bailed out or, or figured ways out of it. Um, and this time I was facing 16 years in prison. And so, um, man, I really was trying to figure out how to get out of this one and and man, uh, the judge I went to, he, um, man, he let me have it, but he also, rightfully so, he also gave me an opportunity to do what called drug court, which is an accountability court where you get out, but you, you know, you're got a surveillance officer 24 seven drug test two or three times a week, got to get a job, go to court once a week to give an account for, you know, what you've done for the week and that kind of thing. And, and, um, and, and started going through that. At first, I thought I'd just do the whole fake it till you make it thing. And, but, um, along the way, it kind of clicked, uh, for me and realized that one, I'm not getting any younger. Um, you know, and if you got in trouble in drug court, you'd go back to jail for whether it's a three day sentence, seven day sentence, month sentence, or whatever, uh, depending on what you did to get in trouble for, whether you missed a drug test, failed a drug test, or, or whatever. And, and, uh, and I missed one. Cause I forgot to call the number. And, um, and so I ended up having to go to jail and I was in jail for my one year of being clean. And, um, while I was in there, man, there were some of the same people that had been back to jail, uh, some same people that still been in there since I was there the last time. And, um, man, it just kind of clicked that that's not, you know, that's not what I wanted to, to be a part of. Uh, I didn't want to this revolving door. And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should do better. And, uh, and get things going again. And, um, you know, growing up as a, a preacher's kid, you know, I grew up in church all the time. And, um, and so I knew, you know, I'd had a relationship with God off and on. And, and, you know, when I was doing good, I was doing good. When I was doing bad, I was doing bad. And, uh, you know, when I first got locked up, you know, I can remember, remember a time that, um, you know, the, these guys were reading the Bible in, in their cell and, and just remember, God reminded me, man, I, I'm not done with you yet. And so I kind of stuck with that and, you know, and kind of remembered that after being there a year. 
And so uh, God started giving me a heart and a passion to help others that have been what I've been through. I enjoyed helping others before. I'd always been one for helping people and volunteering. And, you know, I used to cut little old ladies' yards and stuff like that. Um, you know, so um, helping people is nothing new, but uh, really uh, started getting a passion for those that have been through what I've been through. And so, um, so that's kind of what I started doing. Um, I just do it off and on, on the side, but also, you know, when you're doing that, you know, uh, I'd get into, um, the enemy knows your weaknesses. So I'd get into jobs, you know, I'd start getting promotions, making good money, and then I'd start kind of teetering out of it. And then, um, you know, I'd be at a good job and I get let go or fired. I'm like, what the heck, man? I was doing good, but it was, you know, just a reminder that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And, um, so I started a nonprofit called All In or All Out Ministries. Um, that nonprofit is we help men who are suffering from a substance use disorder and, you know, trying to, I'm in the process of looking for a house to be able to house these guys. Uh, but I still work with them one on one now. Um, still try to get them into other places until I get something going. And, um, and, and just trying to, you know, just help them, you know, working with one guy whose kids are with defects and, and trying to get them back and, and stuff like that. So, um, so that's what I started doing about uh, a year ago. Um, I was doing it still on the side, but I was working a job where, where the, uh, the guy that owned it knew what I was doing and knew that, you know, this was probably it was going to be short term and trying to figure that out. And when I was here in April, I was still working for them full time. And, uh, and I went to them trying to do the math here. Um, I think it was April. I was supposed to quit at the end of April and I was going to do the ministry full time. And I, I told him, I said, I feel like that's what God's calling me to do. And, uh, got to the end of the month and I'm like, Hey, I was just kidding. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. I chickened out. And so, uh, but then I really felt it and, and, um, and realized, you know, the end of January, what is it? Maybe it was, it was March and then April, the end of April. Nope. End of May. There it is. End of May. I was going to quit and, uh, got looking at the calendar. The last day of that month fell into June a little bit on June the 2nd, which was, uh, would be my 11 year anniversary. And so I'm like, all right, well, that's a good enough hint for me that, you know, this is what I need to do. And so I stuck with it. So, um, starting June the 5th, which was my seventh year anniversary of being married, longest marriage, by the way, of all the rest of them put together, throw that in there. Um, but, uh, She's probably thinking that too. Long yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking when you, you said 12 years friendship. And he said eight years. That's like a marriage to me, man. <laughs> Feels like 12. But it's only been eight. Um, but yeah, so, um, so that's what I've been doing since June the 5th, man. I've just been, um, you know, having conversations, making contacts, networking. Uh, you know, we did the event, um, that took some time, um, getting set up for that and doing that. And, uh, so that's what I've been doing, man. I wrote a book, uh, I guess two years ago, maybe, I don't remember now. Maybe I think it released last year, um, about my story. Um, so I have that and, uh, and now I'm just, um, man, just trying to figure this thing out and see what doors open and, and see what, what we can do. So we'll get into some of that stuff here in just a second, but I wanted you to, to talk about other than why you said you, you, you like helping people and especially now, why is it part for you to be part of the community? Oh man. Um, you know, other than, uh, like Daniel was saying, you know, obviously it, it's, it's who we're called to be, you know, is, is to help others, to love your neighbor. And to do that, but for me, most importantly, 
uh, besides that is it's part of my recovery. Um, you know, by me giving back, by me helping, to, that helps me to stay clean. That helps me to stay sober because I was there. And um, sorry, golly, dude, I wasn't going to do this. I knew you was going to say something, man. You say it all the time. Uh, but, I mean, it just it's a reminder that I don't want to be there, but also a reminder that there's hope. And and if I can instill that in them, that's what drives me. And, uh, first of all, don't apologize for that because <laughs> I've never seen anybody more passionate than this man right here of what he's doing for folks and trying to do for others. Because uh, you know, and I've worked with a lot of nonprofits. You know, that's what I do is help do fundraising. And and there have been some nonprofits who just didn't give a darn. Want you know wouldn't even do anything to help for their own event. But you talk about sales, Ted. This guy went door to door to help get sponsors for our event. I mean, he was blood, sweat, and tears this thing. So, and and I kid and joke with him all the time, but I made him cry four times the night yeah. of the event. The night, and he said that probably on this show, I don't know, at least six times. And and I knew that that's why I think it's just a sympathy thing to get me back because it keeps you know bragging about. I that. wanted to make him do it again. So that's commitment. Yes. Uh, um. So. Since then, first of all, talk about, well, let's go to the networking piece. You started networking when you were starting this. So what, what positive story, share about a positive story for the networking since you've been doing it? Gosh, I, man, every, every time I feel like I go into one of the rooms and networking, man, I, I talk with someone, um, one who, who, you know, uh, is in a position where they can help me out, maybe not just financially, but help me out as far as a connection to someone. Um, man, it's because of those, um, the networking uh, of people that's uh, connected me to so many people that's opened up doors for, uh, you know, donations for, um, and just conversations of, of being able to help other people. Cause I mean, the reality of it, if you look at it, man, everybody has somebody in their circle, whether it's family, friend, coworker that, that's been through an addiction or going through an addiction. And so, um, and those open up conversations for people to see that one, there's hope. When I go around and talk to schools and stuff, man, you, you talk to the kids and, and more times than none, man, I, I get more kids coming up to me about them talking about their parents and, and it shows hope for them that there's hope for their parents that, that are going through addiction more than the kids actually having the addiction in school. Um, so, um, man, I can't think of anything specific. Um, as far as just a, a story, but it, it's the people that I've met, um, is, it, is just, just open up a whole world. One, I didn't know exists. I've never really networked, you know, well, not legally networked, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, been on that side of it. So it was just a whole new world for me, man. Just to see one, it's a family in there in, in these rooms of, of networking and just see, man. And, and a lot of it is more about, uh, these guys talking about, you know, it's more about the people than it is the business. And because um, uh, that, that is what it's about. I mean, we're people. We all got to share this space here on what I guess we call Earth, if you can still call it that. <laughs> but um, so, yeah. You you uh, you had talked about that you wanted your facility to be in Bartow County. You also mentioned at one time wherever God leads you. But you when you stand up and talk about at the CBC, a lot of times you share some heartbreaking stories of somebody who is just – OD, especially in Bartow County, as you're still wanting to be in Bartow County? 
Uh, yeah, I, I think so. That's where it seems like the doors are open. And again, I'm not opposed if God opens the door somewhere. It seems like it's right now in Bartow County. Um, you know, I'm involved with the community as far as I get a report of the overdoses every week. Um, and we had five last week. Um, there was, um, out of them and, and it's starting to get the more where it's really starting to get bad is parking lots and and those are hard to go out and and pass out information give out narcan and stuff and except for maybe the convenience store owners or, or whatever so we're starting to go um set up in parking lots and just give out information and stuff like that um but yes it's heartbreaking man I, we had a guy um that we were helping and and found a place for him and uh they they were waiting on a bed to open and while we're waiting on that the bed to open uh he passed away of an overdose and so man it just breaks my heart to know that you know people are dying waiting for a bed to get help i mean he was committed wanted to get help and and waiting on that bed and and you know his addiction got the best of him while he's waiting and so that's just heartbreaking to know and see right well, so again, since you were here, a lot of it has happened. We'll we'll talk about the event in a second, but you've had a van donated to you. You've had the wrapped donated to you of the van. So share a little about that. Yeah, man, it, it's crazy. So this is how. So the van uh, was given to me, man. I was um, I was out doing something. I think I we was getting ready for a ride for recovery, and I was driving the the um, whatever the route for the. Um, for the motorcycles to uh to go and figuring out and i get a call man they said hey you got this van um it's just been sitting here you know matter of fact you know i bought it in 98 from your brother who was in the car business and and we you know want to know if you wanted it and i'm like heck yeah man that's what i've been praying for looking for and um and then the the company i worked for was new beginning signs who uh does wraps does signs and stuff and and um and they were gracious enough to wrap it and uh for me in the ministry and so it, it's amazing i didn't drive it today mainly because i got to go get a trailer and get some stuff for uh mobilized recovery tomorrow but um but it, it's great man this thing runs great it's you know older than all my kids and, and this thing you know works better than they do if i'm being honest <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about the event that we did because it was a pretty uh, big success and i didn't realize well, you and I sat down and talked in April about what you wanted to do and my idea of, of a locker room chat, and you jumped on that pretty quickly. And and then uh, if you told me, I had forgotten, but this was your very first fundraiser. But let's share about the event. Yeah, um, definitely the the um, first time I'd ever done any kind of fundraiser. Um, you had the idea of having some uh, professional athletes coming in and, and – and talking and doing like a Q&A, and, and I'm a huge sports fan, so, I mean, that was a no-brainer for me. Uh, I think I told you that day. I'm like, I think that's the one we're going to do. I may have to check with my board, but I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to do. Um, so, yeah, it, it was the first time, and, and so, man, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. All, all I knew was to do was we needed money to put the thing on and, and to make it happen. And so, man, I just went around – um, and talking to the different businesses, asking for sponsorships, man, asking, we ended up getting all the food donated, Chick-fil-A donated sandwiches, um, you know, like Nagel's Bagels donated the drinks, um, uh, Noble Main donated the dessert, uh, Rockmark Steakhouse donated the sides. I mean, it was just amazing to see, man, that's what networking does. 
um, you know, to be able to get these connections, not just because they give you free stuff, because they want to be a part of the community also, and they want to see great things done. So um, just being able to do that um, and, and get the sponsorships and, and just be able to put the event on for the community. Well, and it was kind of cool because you had – now, that I would tell you, this is the, that was the first time I ever put that particular kind of event on. It was a brainchild that I've always wanted to do, but I've never done it. So it uh, it was a test. Thanks for being my test dummy. Uh, I'm used to being a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty awesome because I think you had three females at least – one of them being your wife, one being a title sponsor, and I can't remember the other ones, but who was kind of concerned about the event. And then afterwards, all three of them said, man, that was awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. And, and there was, you know, talking to a few other ladies that, that were there, and, and I mean, they were just blown away that, you know, they were thinking, well, it's a sports thing. You know, I'm here to support you and, and do that. But said that, man, it was just more – it wasn't even really about sports. It was just about, man, the – they talked about their coaches, the life lessons they learned from their coaches, and and just stuff that you could you you know everyday normal people can use in, in their own lives. So they were everybody was really impressed. And um, man, when I ran, went around handing out the um, handwritten thank you cards because it's a lost art, you know, you talk about that. But uh, to the sponsors and stuff, man, it, it just it, it struck up great conversations of just being able to hear their feedback and and how God, it's been what two months man and, and they're still talking about it and um so I, I just think that speaks volumes to you know to what you do and and how you put it on and you know getting the people there and everything and and just how it turned out man just it, it spoke volumes so. and it, was, it was really cool because my my goal was to ask one question and then hoping that, that would open up with the audience and exactly what happened i mean the audience was very engaged we even have kids ask questions for the athletes which i thought was cool and we had a variety of different athletes there we had a former professional soccer player who played back in the 80s we had a rodeo guy uh we had a, a guy who's currently trying to be an olympic wrestler and then football players and and the biggest name there ronnie brown you know of course he and robert levette were there and they played at cartersville and yep. ronnie was soaking overall pick in the nfl when he came out so it was just awesome so go ahead and share what we raised for you uh so we were able to raise after um everything was said and done man if i'm being honest we um man, the community really really stepped up um because we didn't have to you know fork out a ton of money to put this thing on and so we were able to clear ten thousand three hundred dollars which, so, which is awesome yeah you know, um amazing um, it keeps me employed for a few more months. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, we're liter- talking about commission, man. You'd be nonprofit and raising your right. own salary. So, <laughs> Literally, the man cried four times in the evening. The first time was when he walked into the decorations. Now, I wasn't expecting to see what the decorations were either. And we had a young lady by the name of Lois Hayes, Celebrations to Remember, yeah. who wanted to partner. And she was a former addict herself, and she blew it out of the park. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I, I talked to her because when, when you introduced me to her and told me, man, I got looking at her – her pages and all I saw were like kids' birthday parties and stuff. I'm like, man, this is. I w- I even went to her because I was like, <laughs> I'm like, look, I'm not trying to be rude, mean, or anything. I said, but it's like going to look like an adult party, right? Like this ain't gonna be a kiddie party or nothing. Like we don't have blow ups, balloon. I mean, so, but it. I mean, she blew it out of the water for sure, man. And she got there early that morning, and she was literally running around from place to place doing the decorations. Man, she knocked it out of the park. So. Then a funny story. Well, Kevin and I have become really good, good friends. And he picks on me all the time talking about making him cry. I just do it all the time. <laughs> now just to do it. But 
the day after the event, he calls me and goes, what are we going to talk about now? <laughs> you know, cause we were on the phone all the time, you know, up to the event. So we're, we're going to do the event again. So, um, all right. So if somebody wants to learn more about the ministry, first of all, share the website. You also do a podcast, share how they can listen to that and share how can they get your book to learn more of your story? Uh, yeah. So, uh, all in or all out ministry.com is the website. Um, you can see the podcast. You can go to the podcast from there. The podcast is all in or all out with Kevin. Um, and it's on Apple, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, so you, you can go there and the books on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles and Kobo on those three platforms. So you can go there and, and do that. So, and real quick, if somebody who's listening and wants to be able to help support you in, in any kind of way, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, best way. I mean, you call my, uh, cell phone. It's 470-334-4911. It's funny that I got 911 in my number for some reason. <laughs> that's, this works out, but, uh, 470-334-4911. Uh, you can do that. Um, and, and I think, uh, the website, uh, you can go in there if you want to donate, um, or we have a, uh, prayers list of things you can be praying for, for the ministry. Cause we are currently, uh, looking for a place, a house to be able to house guys, um, currently in conversations with the church of, uh, possibly put some tiny home communities behind there. Um, so hopefully that can, uh, work out and and be able to do that um but since the event the other thing can i keep going sure. i want to say something real quick sure. sorry i know it's getting long uh but you know the other thing the event's done to people to see that um you know that one uh that we are here for the community trying to help the community make a difference man it's opened up doors of having those conversations of just in the community man of, of other people who are looking to do something for people with you know, low income housing was kind of the thing, um, you know, having those conversations and, and sparking them. Uh, but also it's opened up being able to get into the jail. You know, I got to go to jail yesterday. It's funny. Didn't realize. For a good it, reason. Not yes, for a good <laughs> reason, man. Door 99 is the door everybody prays to get out of when you're in there because they, they number the doors and everybody wants to hear open door 99 so you can get out. So I got to come in to reverse of it but um i learned that uh the guy running the jail now one he has a heart for what i'm doing and passion also and always has didn't know that but he also uh when he was in the before he started running the jail he was in the warrants division i used to clean his office when i was in there so it's good to kind of see that connection how that works be able to go in there and take my laptop be able to help guys and and you know, fill out applications to get them into places and, and until I can figure something out. But, man, just to be able to do that, um, man, is awesome. And, and I think the event really opened the eyes to the community of the need and and what we're about. So, Well, we had some pretty big players from the community there, too, so that helped as well. Yes. Um, all right, real quick, last two questions for all three of you. Um, this, this question particularly is for both Daniel and Ted. So, Daniel um, – Quickly, give somebody advice who maybe think about starting their own business. Ooh, that's a fun one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my gut immediately says stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, really. That, uh, and I, I, I think about my uncle um, years ago when, when I told him. Uh, he looked at me. He said, "One, you'll never be able to make the money um, in working for somebody else that you can work for yourself." 
And I thought, honestly, when he said that originally, I thought that was all about the money. And I've realized over the years as he's kind of uh, sat on the outskirts and just kind of kind of waited for me to, to come to him. What he was not only saying was, yeah, you can make as, as much money as you want to, and, and you'll never have as much passion in anything other than what you start your own. So absolutely, if you've got a passion, drive it. But also what he was saying is you'll never have the ability to make the money but also make the impact. Um, so if, you, if you're looking at starting a business, start by what what is your impact? Where do you want to go and what, what impact do you want to make? Because if you don't know what your impact is going to be, hold um, and wait. And once you know the impact, then drive as hard, fast, and as, as steady as you can. Uh, because when, when you know that and you chase that, it's not, not about the dream, but about the impact. The dream comes with it. Yeah. Uh, and it's awesome. Ted? That's some wisdom. I, I think the only thing I'd add to that is uh, one of the lessons I learned is don't have a plan B. Burn the bridges. Uh, burn the boats. Um, go after it. And you've got to have – got to be single-minded in what you're going after. You're my second person on the show to say that. So that was pretty, pretty cool. All right, Kevin, my question for you is if somebody's thinking about starting a nonprofit, give them some advice. Uh, man, w- one thing I'd say um, uh, do it, but – before you really jump, you know, start um, start reaching out to people who are doing something similar to what you're doing because there may be something, one, you can partner with or two, that you can, um, you know, it, it may be a need. And if it's something, you know, that you're passionate about because uh, nonprofits get driven by passion. Nobody gets into a nonprofit and don't have passion because I assure you they're not getting into it for the money or to get rich. Um, so... Just make sure they have a heart for it and a passion for it, and and you'll know. And if you do, you'll know exactly exactly what to do. And I also think it's very important because, uh, you know, I could have a – and I do have a passion helping others, but I could have a passion of helping somebody with addiction because I know people. But if you haven't been down that road, it's not as impactful as somebody who has. So last question for all three of you before we wrap this up. So I'd like for you guys to give uh, – some advice and tips, uh, whether it's a word, a quote, a nugget, a positive word or quote for, for people listening to take today and the rest of 2023 and beyond with. So what you got, Daniel? Ooh, uh, I told my wife yesterday on it, uh, resiliency, uh, the, the ability to be resilient, uh, and not only absorb, but embrace, um, Jill Sargent years ago at, at, at boot camp told me, embrace the suck, Tilbury, embrace the suck. And what he was saying is, is it, embrace it because it's going to make you better. Uh, as, as iron sharpens iron, you don't, you don't sharpen iron by, uh, light, easy, uh, strokes. Yep. It, you got to strike it and it, you got to be willing to get beat up, but understanding that, uh, your resiliency is going to make you better and make the people around you better. Uh, you go out there and do it. Ted. Mine would have been that resiliency, but to, to add to that, I just say the mind, your mindset. Make sure you've got the, the right mindset. Um, you're, you're doing the right thing and having belief in yourself that there's nothing more important than that. Kevin? Uh, I heard this quote listening to a podcast coming in here, and it says, there's no such thing as failure. It's just a pit stops on the way to success. And, I, I mean, you're not going to get a yes without getting a no. And, and if a no – it, it, if it no hurts your feelings and, and, you know, deters you, then 
you know, it, you're going to have a, a long, long, long life of, of failure because you, you know, you just got to overcome that and know that, you know, there is a yes waiting. It just hadn't been the one you need and the right one for you. So. So the other thing I like to do as we wrap up, the last thing is the thank you as a lost art these days. So Daniel, thank for what you're doing for educating the folks uh, of what you do and, and trying to help them. Ted, thanks for what you do for the businesses and trying to get them to where they need to be. And Kevin, thanks for what you're doing for the community. So everybody listening, let's remember, let's be positive. Let's be charitable.